It's our last day in Genesis. I have notes on the back chairs there as you come in, in case you didn't see them. And I've got some verses. We're going to do some sword drills today. So, uh, so I'll ask people to read as we go. If you have a booming voice or a loud voice, that's helpful. If you don't, I get it. I won't, I won't call on people to read. I'll ask pe- for volunteers. Well, good to see you all. My name's Travis Harkin. Um, my wife and I have been at GCF now for how long? Over 20 years. 20 and a half, something like that. Um, we lead a home group, and I just love this church. We're so thankful. And I'm excited to be able to teach Sunday school this morning. So um, before we get started, I'll pray, and then we'll get going. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we just want to thank you for your amazing grace in our lives. We thank you for uh, your kindness to us, uh, to reveal to us our need for you, and to reveal to us your faithfulness uh, as we consistently um, are unfaithful to you. Uh, we are reminded that your mercies are new every morning. And so as we enter into this day, uh, here in this Sunday school class, we uh, commit ourselves to you. We invite your Holy Spirit to speak to us. We thank you for your presence that's readily available. And we confess that we are not always eager to hear from you and to experience you. And uh, so we pray that that will not be the case uh, this morning, uh, here in, in this time, as well as in our worship service. We thank you for your covenantal faithfulness throughout uh, all of time. We thank you for uh, your work in the family of Jacob and Israel. And we thank you for um, the amazing story that we see in Joseph's life. And as we uh, reflect on that this morning, we pray that you will speak to us, minister minister to us, uh, and uh, continue to remind us that you are faithful, uh, that our faith will grow. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I didn't realize we have, uh, have some filtering when I say words that I'm not supposed to say. <laughs> Is that what that was? <laughs> no, I think my words were fine. I was I'm just messing with Derek back there. <laughs> but I'm, I'm willing to be held accountable. I will put that out there. So... Uh, so, I hope you all got the printouts. If you don't, that's fine. Um, but we, like I said earlier, we will have some verses that we'll reflect on. So, I'm just going to start by who Joseph is, what we see of his life, and really look at where he, where he ended up. So, a little bit of, um, maybe a little bit of an obituary, if you will. Uh, so, he is uh, clearly a foreshadowing of Christ. We see that in Joseph's life. Uh, And as we look at who he was, he was the 11th son of Israel. So last week we uh, covered Jacob, and um, Jacob patiently waited for uh, his wife Rachel. And then he patiently waited for a son through his wife Rachel. And we see Rachel pleading with the Lord to give her children. And finally, um, he opened her womb, and and Joseph was her firstborn uh, to come from her womb. Uh, and the 11th son of Israel, uh, also born in, in Jacob's uh, old age. 
Joseph actually lived the majority of his life in Egypt. About 90 years of his life were lived in Egypt. Uh, he became Pharaoh's right-hand man. Pharaoh actually, when he appointed him as his right-hand man, gave him the name Zaphanath Paneah. Uh, and that was um, kind of a cultural thing to say, you are part of the royal court. I'm giving you a name, and I'm going to give you a wife. So he also um, was given a wife. Uh, Asenath, um, she was the daughter of Potipharah, who was a priest of On, uh, which is, again, an honor to be able to marry uh, such a woman in Egypt. Uh, so uh, there were a lot of ways that Joseph was given honor uh, in Egypt as he lived there. He was able to have two sons through Asenath, Ephraim and Manasseh. He died in Egypt at 110 years of age, and as he died in Egypt, he did not forget his heritage. Uh, and he actually pleaded with his brothers, and he asked them to commit to him uh, that he would be buried in Canaan. And as he asked them <coughs> to bury him, boy, oh, I feel the emotion just thinking about that. Um, not that he died, but that he had this hope that Canaan would, would be again visited by the Israelites. And um, so he asked his brothers, Bury me there. I do not want to be buried in Egypt. Which is the same request that his father Jacob had made um, just years before when he passed away. Um, so what, fl what blessings flowed out of Joseph's life? Let's talk about that a little bit. I'd love to hear uh, some input. As you're walking in, there are sheets on, the, on both sides in the back. So feel free to grab those as we follow along. Um, so just throw them out. Any thoughts about some of the ways? We may have already talked about some blessings, but other ways you see blessings from Joseph's life. Saved a lot of people. Saved a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, we'll go into that more. Yep, absolutely. James. Yeah. So he, so he uh, prospered. Uh, he was given a lot of wisdom in his business decisions and just his overall dealings in Egypt. Anything else? Yeah, Yeah, and you think about, so we'll, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but um, Ephraim and Manasseh were blessings so much so that Jacob, as he was dying and blessed them, included them, called them his sons, and wanted them to understand the heritage that you have is not Egyptian. It is an Israelite heritage. That is the heritage I'm giving you, and I'm calling you as my sons. And to see them have that long-term heritage um, in the tribes of Israel is pretty remarkable when you think about um, the way that Joseph's life was blessed there. Additionally, another thing that really jumps out at me, and Derek, you kind of went to it, is a lot of people were saved. So we're talking 70 people, 70, 70 men, plus their wives and children, came with Jacob to Egypt. In the 430 years that they were in Egypt, 
They went from 70 men and wives and children to 600,000 men, wives and children. Um, so we're talking over a million people were part of the Exodus. And to think about the magnitude of blessing that came because Jacob or Joseph was given um, really in a way asylum that allowed for Israel to come into Egypt and prosper and flourish and then go out as a flourishing nation and people is very remarkable. Any other thoughts about blessings that we see? Steve? Yeah, amen. Yep. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. It wasn't just Israel who was benefiting. Egypt was benefiting. Yeah. I think that's one of the, James, you mentioned how he gave him wisdom and, and helped him to prosper. When we think about what Joseph was able to accomplish, first of all, he had the, the intuition or the insight really from the Lord to say, we have to save up food because we've got seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. And the awareness that it wouldn't just be Egypt who needed all this food. It'd be neighboring countries who'd be looking for food. Uh, was remarkable wisdom to be able to know we have to store up as much as we possibly can. And that allowed them to be able to have food for the Egyptians, but also for neighboring countries throughout the seven years of famine. And not only that, but we see Joseph then having wisdom in dealing with as the food started to run low, throughout the famine, he started to institute ways for Egypt to continue to prosper, saying, okay, bring us your livestock. You've given us all your money, you don't have any more, bring us your livestock. And then eventually it became, we're gonna give you seed now, go plant the seed, and whatever you harvest, you give 20% of that back to Pharaoh. And, and that was instituted moving forward. So moving forward, Egypt continues to prosper because Joseph had instituted this tax, if you will, on, um, on proceeds from, from the harvest. So great point, Kevin, as far as the ways that we saw blessing, not only for the Israelites, but also for Egypt. Something I love too is thinking, Joseph of course didn't have a direct impact on these things, but the opportunity for us to be able to see God's hand in plagues in Egypt would not have happened had Joseph not gone, flourished, grown, become uh, a thorn in the side of the Egyptians, and now we've got this conflict in the future between Moses and, the, Moses and Pharaoh. Uh, additionally, the Passover really came out of Joseph going into Egypt, and again, thriving. Um, parting of the Red Sea, we see so many ways moving forward that we're all hinging on Joseph's life in Egypt. And had that not taken place, we wouldn't see God work in so many miraculous ways throughout history or throughout the, the history of Israel. So I'm gonna jump now into, again, 
I feel like I'm going backwards, but I, I see the, the benefit of going backwards by looking at the blessings and then looking back at what got Joseph to that place. So we're kind of making our way back. So um, Joseph was a man with forward-looking faith. I'm going to ask somebody for a volunteer who can read Hebrews 11.22. So he is in the Hall of Fame, the Hall of Fame of, of men of faith. Tess? Okay, thank you. So he was already what, centuries before the Exodus would even happen. He's, he's saying, this is going to happen. This is going to take place. I trust God. Take my bones with you when you go. Uh, next, we're going to read Genesis 50, 22 through 26. Steve? Great, thank you. A, a great testament to his awareness of the covenant that God had made with his father uh, and what to expect uh, moving forward for the people of Israel. Okay, now let's look at um, Genesis 50, 19 through 21. Any volunteers? Okay, so what's happening here? Jo so Joseph's father has died. Jacob has died. And all of a sudden his brothers are thinking, oh no, dad's dead? And he, he was the only reason Joseph was kind to us. We are now at his mercy. He is second in command to Pharaoh. He has been given so much authority in this land. And we are under his authority, and the thought that he may now remember our sins against him is a scary thing. And so they, they were, in many ways, trembling at the idea that Joseph may now say, well, guys, guess what? I remember all that you've put me through, and it's time to pay you back. But that's not what we see from him. He instead is saying, no, no, no. This is all part of a plan. This is part of a plan that as we look forward, we continue to see God glorified in this broken situation. And do not fear. We are looking forward. And, and to take that kind of faith and say, okay, this, is, this has been a hard, uh, 
you know, 90 years prior, and I'm in the, the latter years of my life, I'm going to tell my brothers, don't fear, um, because our God is faithful, and that's why this has all taken place. Uh, it's such a great testament to him looking forward. So Joshua 24, 32, I have that down there as well. That is really just the reference of when, Jake, when Joseph's bones were taken into Canaan. So it's there for your reading if you'd like, um, but points us to that actually uh, taking place. Okay, the next thing I want to focus on is Joseph being a victim of betrayal and false accusation. Uh, so we're going to keep going backwards now, Genesis 37 and 39, uh, and we'll focus uh, first on 37. So this is really going to get us into um, what all led to Joseph getting to Egypt. And I think the thing we have to continue to apply here is Joseph is looking forward, and he understood, well, he didn't understand all that was going to take place in his life, of course, but he understood that God was on his throne, God was reigning, and he could submit and walk through these trials. So Joseph is 17 years old. I'm going to do a lot of summarization. We won't read these chapters just due to um, time, but Joseph is 17 years old. He's his father's favorite son. He's been given the coat of many colors. Uh, he's, it's very clear that he's the brother that, that dad loves. And uh, he also uh, goes to Jacob and tells him a bad report of his brothers. And the brothers, of course, are like tattletale, uh, not too happy with Joseph ratting us out for whatever, they, whatever mischief they were causing. But uh, very clear we see some sibling rivalry taking place here, and it's one against 11. <laughs> Maybe 10, because Benjamin's probably somewhat in his corner, too. Um, so with that, then Joseph, and I, I, as I was preparing for this, I kept wrestling with, was there wisdom in this? Has the two dreams. And he goes to his brothers, and he tells them the two dreams. And the first one, I'll just read this here. Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Don't know if he needed to share the dream. Maybe keep that to himself. However, uh, there's, for their benefit in years and years and years to come, there's probably a blessing in getting to hear what this dream was. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Get this one. Dad needs to listen to this one too. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when, but when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother... And your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you. And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So we see Jacob at least wrestling with this. Can't believe you're dreaming this dream and telling this to us, but what does this really all mean? So we then see Joseph's uh, 
really his lack of favor with his brothers continue to play out here. Joseph goes out in the fields uh, at the recommendation of his fathers, uh, of his fathers, goes up to Shechem uh, to find his brothers working in the fields. And as soon as they see him coming, like, there he is. Can you believe this guy? Um, the desire to kill him was actually evident. Um, they saw him from afar. Uh, this is verse 18 of chapter 37. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So he at least had somebody kind of in his corner, right? So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty, and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So then we know after that, the brothers go to their dad. Here are his clothes. Looks like something bad happened to Joseph. Sorry, dad. Which just crushed Jacob. He was in deep despair. Uh, and to think of the betrayal that took place in this household uh, to disown a brother, so much so there was willingness to kill him, but there was also willingness to, to deceive, to sell him away, and then deceive their father to make him truly believe. He's, he looks like he's dead. Looks like he was devoured. Um, is scandalous, right? Just a completely broken mess uh, within a family that has just years before received blessings from God and, and promises of all the good things that would be coming uh, in the future. So Joseph is now uh, in Egypt and he ends up in Potiphar's house. We're going to jump over to 39. Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Something I think about as I think of um, Joseph being a man with forward-looking faith is his demeanor throughout all of this. Because I know that temptation, you know, when I've been rightly accused or wrongly accused, 
regardless, to grumble, to sulk. Woe is me. I'm a slave in Egypt now. I had it so good with my family. And this is humbling. I'm now a servant in this guy's house. Uh, I don't think you get to a place of high esteem or of being able to be in charge of an officer in Pharaoh's command of his household unless you come in and you've got really a spirit of joy. You're reflecting God Almighty to this small community that you're a part of in this household. Uh, to have someone say, you know what, I trust you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in command of all that I have in my household. Uh, I don't know that that would really be, I have a hard time imagining that would be possible if somebody comes in and is just hanging their head, complaining, miserable. But instead, he's putting his faith in God and what will take place in the future. And that is what we're all called to, and that's what we see in Christ my life is an offering. Whatever takes place in this life, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to do what he commands me to do, to glorify him in my life. And as the world around us sees that, and as we see what Christ modeled for us, we recognize that we can go through suffering, through trials, through hard things, and be joyful, because in the end, there are countless blessings that come. So we're going to continue here. Joseph doing great in the house. Pretty, uh, pretty smashing looking guy. And Potiphar's wife starts to be attracted to him and is trying to lure him to go to bed with her. And the thing that I love about this is Joseph, again, forward-looking faith, is, has, one, already, already has a principled decision He's not caught off guard and what do I do? He knew what he would do when proposed adultery by a woman by immediately saying, I will not do this and let me tell you why. Let's see. Um, sorry. Uh, 39.6. Halfway through. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. But you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? We see that he fears God and he proclaims God first and foremost as his reason for not doing this in addition to dishonoring his master. And that is one of the things that really starts to jump out. This is one of the first places where we see Joseph in this whole story of his life pointing to God and saying, why would I do this against my God? So Potiphar's wife continues. She's persistent, really hoping for uh, the opportunity to lie with Joseph. 
And one day, she gets pretty aggressive. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of her house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled out of her house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me and cried out with, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as, he, as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of this house. That doesn't go well with Potiphar, right? <laughs> <laughs> or any husband. Um, so, off to jail goes Joseph, falsely accused. Where have we seen someone falsely accused in the future? Again, pointing us to Christ. This is unfair. A travesty against Joseph. It just seems like it could, could keep getting worse and worse and you're thinking, what is going to happen now? The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Again, I have to immediately think, what was Joseph's demeanor? That the, the keeper of the prison was like, you know what? I think I like you. So whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. He put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Again, a remarkable awareness that Joseph probably had some peace in going through just another trial. And I can't even imagine what prison would be like in ancient Egypt can't imagine what being a slave would be like in ancient Egypt. And just like, now you're a slave, now, now we're sending you into the worst place possible probably in Egypt. So Joseph continues to be faithful though. And we see as he's in prison, um, he is caring for the cupbearer of the king uh, who was in prison as well as... Um, the baker, the chief baker of Pharaoh. So they're both in prison with Joseph because Pharaoh was upset with some of his attendants and they're in prison with him. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker. And they're telling Joseph, these are, these are troubling dreams. Can we share these with you? And what does Joseph do as, as they come to him? He once again points to God. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell me your dreams. So Joseph um, listens to their dreams. And as, as we see in the story, uh, the cupbearer um, is told his dream is prophetic and, and he will be released and he'll find favor with Pharaoh again and be back in Pharaoh's court. The, and, and as Joseph reveals this dream to him, he says, please don't forget me. When you get out, please Please remember me. The chief baker's dream isn't so good. The chief baker is told, you don't have much longer to live. You're, you're going to die when you get out of here. And both, both dreams came to fruition. Unfortunately, we see in 4023, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So for two more years, Joseph gets to be in what I think is probably the worst place in Egypt. Stays in prison. 
And then Pharaoh has tr troubling dreams. And as Pharaoh has his troubling dreams, he's going to everybody, I need my advisors to tell me, what, what is this all about? And all of a sudden, the cupbearer is like, wait, I knew this guy once. Really reputable. He's in prison. <laughs> Let me tell you about him. He told me that I would actually be released and I'd be alive and I'd be spared and returned to serving in your court. And it all came true. So Pharaoh's like, okay, bring him. Let's hear what he has to say. So Pharaoh um, calls for Joseph. And as he does, Joseph says, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I was standing on the banks of the Nile, seven cows, plump and attractive. Uh, this is 41, uh, 18. Uh, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows, but when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them for they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then he continues to go on and tell a little bit more about his dream. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all of the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. I love how Joseph doesn't only tell what, what these dreams are about, but he also sees the opportunity to provide consultation. <laughs> and he benefits. And Israel benefits and Egypt benefits because Joseph boldly told Pharaoh of Egypt, here's what, here's what you ought to do. And this is all from God. This is not me. This is God revealing all of this. And we see Pharaoh realize that the God of Jacob is to be feared. And he says, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since you have shown you since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. 
And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. So what did Joseph have to do? Well, he had to go take a shower. <laughs> he was <laughs> woke up in the morning, uh, probably got his uh, whatever they gave him in prison in Egypt, his <laughs> mere meal of, of probably horrible things, rat tails or something. And Pharaoh says, well, guess what? Going to give you a promotion today. <laughs> Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get my signet ring out. Took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. And this is where we see Pharaoh uh, appoint Joseph with a wife, uh, give him a new name, and we see the begin of, beginning of how Joseph, here about 30 years old now, uh, is really able to start to um, bless these people in Egypt uh, through God revealing to him a prophecy that would ultimately give Israel the opportunity to come in and, as well and thrive. Again, I look at this and think, wow, God, God will show us favor when we are in the pit of despair, it's so easy to be focused on the despair that we're in, the suffering that we're experiencing, all that's happened to me, all that's been unfair, where has God been? Those are all questions I'm sure, sure Joseph may have thought, may have been tempted to think. Uh, and again, he's pointing us to Christ. This is, this is suffering that um, is unlike what will happen one day to the Son of God. And for us to be able to see here in, in a man in Israel's history, um, that faithfulness, that trust, uh, is remarkable to, to see the fruit that eventually bears out when you would say, <laughs> how do you go from slave to prisoner whoop, up to second in command in Egypt? So God gives grace to the humble. I think we've talked about it quite a bit, but I do just want to go back to that because I really see this as being some of that imitation of Christ that we see in Joseph that really jumps out and uh, something that we should all want to take away and apply to our lives. So I'd love to ask um, a volunteer to read Genesis 39. Actually, we just read that. I'm sorry. I'm not, we're not going to read it again. I think we've actually, I covered a lot of this, didn't I? Um, 41. I got way ahead in the notes here. So I think we're going to, we are going to, um, Jump down to that last point. Glory to God in our suffering. And I'd love to ask the question as we start to think about that here in, this, in the last 15 minutes here. Um, what are some practical ways our suffering may bear fruit? I just, I just want to think about, think about just day-to-day -day living. What are some ways that uncomfortable situations um, physical ailments, 
um, challenges with, with children, challenges at work? What are some ways that our, our suffering um, may bear fruit? Deeper dependence on God? Amen, right? Yeah. Chuck. Amen. Thanks for sharing that. That is so applicable. Janet? Yeah. So, practical example. Think of, like something that you could picture. Praise God for that. How often do we think about the opportunity to go in for a surgery or a procedure? We're suffering in that. We go see a doctor because we're suffering a lot of pain and discomfort. Of course, we're usually thinking, please help me. <laughs> I, I, need, I need some relief here in some way. How can you fix this problem I have? But in that, is there an opportunity to shine the light of Christ? Could you, would you be willing, I've asked this question of myself, would you be willing to suffer a severe injury if it meant that a nurse or a radiology technician or a doctor or the receptionist at the office could know Christ? Would you be willing to go through that and usually like oh I don't think so but <laughs> but if that's if that could be used if I could have forward-thinking faith to think okay there's a reason I'm going through this my kids are watching me do this right now maybe they need to see this maybe it's somebody in the medical office who I get to be in contact with that I, I never would have met them before <laughs> and I get to go through this this trial um, great opportunity that God might be presenting to us that if we get out of the woe is me mindset, um, we start to see him work in us. Do you have your hand up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah. But but again, of the grace of God on display to to Joseph like to the Israelites wandering in the desert. Right. I've got you. Don't worry, like this is why you're in Egypt, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. This feels like this this really this the suffering here and the blessing that comes out of suffering, like God's God's action out of the his grace to the humble and stuff like that. I mean it should it should really strengthen our faith in God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And to think about thinking forward. Here's Christ doing amazing miracles. People flocking to him, excited about this Messiah that's here to save the Jews. And what? He's being hung on a cross? How, how is this going to work? This, this, this is not going to happen. And once again, just like what you're saying. Um, the unpredictable takes place and the remarkable is the result. Tess. Thanks for sharing that. That is so good. And so hard to, to go there sometimes because we are like, why does this have to happen now? Do I really need to be in this place? What is, is God with me? Is, is he in this? Uh, yeah. Noah, are you raising a finger?
That's good. As you say that, I'm thinking about Joseph being 17 years old, knowing he's had these dreams that point that he's going to lead his, his brothers. They're going to bow down before him and his mom and dad. Um, and to find out he's all of a sudden being betrayed, being sold into slavery, like, wait, this isn't how it's supposed to go. Was my dream, was that real? <laughs> Maybe I, was, I really was out to lunch. Uh, and how much am I going to fight for doing what I think my life should look like, kind of what you're talking about, um, but instead, fully surrendering to God Almighty and saying, my life is yours, I can't really do anything about this, but I can do what you've called me to do, and that is to walk faithfully and to reflect you to this people that I'm now surrounded by. It's beautiful to see how that all comes to be because I, I want to just close with that reminder of what ends up taking place as um, the famine gets so severe that the Israelites are now desperate for food and Jacob sends his sons to Egypt and we see J Jacob send those, those sons that he loves <clears throat> unaware of how God is going to reveal his faithfulness to him and when I think about Jacob's life, man, my f favorite son is dead. Judah slept with his, his daughter-in-law and has a son, son forward slash grandson um, in that broken mess. My family is troubled in so many ways, and little does he know that as this famine takes place, his sons are going to go to Egypt. Joseph's going to recognize them, and he's going to have some fun Revealing, <laughs> revealing who he is to them, sends them back, asks for Benjamin to go, totally breaks down Jacob and the brothers, and, and the re recollection of the dreams takes place in all of this. Little did he realize his brothers would come and truly be begging him for food, begging him for forgiveness when money is found in their satchels, when his cup is found in Benjamin's satchel. And then Jake, Jacob finally realizes Joseph is alive. And all of Israel gets to go to Egypt and dwell in the most fruitful area, Goshen, the land where there will be opportunity for their livestock to flourish and thrive, where they will become abundantly wealthy as a people, and where they will one day be a mighty co congregation that goes out into the desert after seeing all these plagues we talked about earlier, after seeing the Passover take place, and just be reminded, I am with you. God is with you. 
and he's going before us. And uh, that, to me, as I look at Joseph's life, pointing us to Christ, um, and just humbled and more thankful, and I hope you all are too, uh, for the opportunity to fully surrender and to walk out each day in faith, trusting that God is at work, he's going before us, and we just need to do what he's called us to do. It's not always easy, but we can have hope that in the end, there will be abundant fruit to bear. I'll close with that unless there are any other questions or just comments. We have a minute or two here and then we'll pray. Anything else jump out at anybody or you hear the Lord speaking to you in any way as we've talked through this? Janet? Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Kara and I have recently had that conversation, and um, when you think about, sometimes like my brain kind of goes a little weird sometimes, maybe grandiose, but I'm like, okay, six kids times six, we could have 36 grandkids <laughs> times six, and then all of a sudden, you know, four or five generations out, I'm like, oh my goodness, we're like up to 100,000. What in the world happened? That's amazing. You kids, be, be fruitful and multiply. I love it. Um, and that is such a great point because here's Joseph. 70 Israelite men come in with their wives and children. And all of a sudden, 430 years later, we got 600,000 men plus their wives and children. Incredible and exponential growth that happened there. And little did one man know what, um, what he was contending for and what all of those generations would see. Okay, thank you all. It's been a pleasure to get to be sharpened by you, be encouraged by you, and uh, to walk through this together. So thank you, let's pray, and then we'll get ready to worship. Father in heaven, uh, we delight in you uh, to, to see your faithfulness and to be reminded of your, um, your goodness to your people. And we are honored to bear your name and we thank you for the opportunity to uh, just reflect on Joseph and his life this morning. We thank you for his faithfulness and for uh, the work that you did in him to reveal your goodness and for the reminder that you give grace to the humble. And we ask you to be at work in each of our lives, that we will grow in humility, that we'll be eager to point to you and um, put our faith and trust in you, and that you will um, continue to see us through. 
um, the days that we, we believe are the worst we will ever face, as well as the best days. And uh, I pray that you will uh, just be at work in this church, that um, we will imitate you well, and uh, that there will be abundant generational blessings that pour out from uh, our service to you, our um, worship of you, and our love for one another. We thank you for this time. We look forward to worshiping together. We ask you to bless uh, our, our morning of worship, and uh, we ask you to allow us to be a blessing to you. Uh, and we um, commit all this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.